Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome. Look, so much happened over the weekend at UFC 261. Usman wins again. Rose gets her title back. The bullet can't be stopped. Plus, very familiar faces are back in the headlines. I'll talk about all of that today, so let's get right into it. Beginning with the thoughts I had Saturday night immediately after Kamara Usman beat George Masvidal again. Oh boy, what do we do? What do we do? Usman Masvidal over, right? You feel this lull? You feel this letdown? I mean, you get drunk on excitement. You get high for these fights. It's all over. What do you do? Okay. Let's figure out what we learned here, okay? And what we did learn here was Masvidal's interpretation of the lack of training for the first fight was not overly relevant. I also thought and talked to you guys about the idea that he was a lot more prepared than even he thinks he was. Evident of the fact that he could make weight. Fight was in six days means the weigh-in's in five. Oh, by the way, it took a full day to get to where he was going. Now you're down to 96 hours. He still made the weight, so he's in a little bit better shape than maybe he let on, but he thought, I've got a whole nother gear in me. Okay, good enough. Good enough for Usman, good enough for all of us. Let's rewind it. You get that training camp in and let's see what happens. Now, I can't overly judge or question the preparation as I'm juxtaposing fight one to tonight's fight. I can't overly do that because the punch that he got caught with would have put down a small horse. It was kind of like the night that Masvidal hit that knee on Askren. You can talk trash on Askren if you want, but none of you could have taken the shot. You could be 500 pounds. You can't take that shot. That wasn't a shot that a human being can take. Not just a 170, but you just can't take that shot. And that's what he got caught with tonight. So I don't know that that was a, a sign of the preparation. In fact, I saw some very good moments, particularly when he was taken down and scrambled right back up to his feet and turned to face him and really brought the action. One mistake that guys make, they have made it from the beginning of time. If they are the superior striker or they deem themselves to be, they will break the basics. If your chin is not down and your hands are not up, you are eligible to be knocked out. Conor McGregor, who had just gone 30 minutes with Floyd Mayweather, went head over tea kettle when Khabib connected with him. And it wasn't because Khabib was as good or a better boxer. It was because Conor's hands were down. Everybody that tries to fight cute, okay, and George isn't overly guilty of this. He was only slightly guilty. He was not like a Floyd Mayweather or Roy Jones, you know, back when he had his bad moments. He wasn't like Chuck Liddell where he just uh, could no longer defend himself or even what happened with Anderson Silva. 
but they all do end the same. If you're out there and you're trying to fight cute and you're not following the basics of hands up and chin down, your story will end the same and it will end a knockout. Not maybe. 100% guarantee there is a question as to when. But I say that because George is a better stand-up fighter than Usman, in my opinion. In my opinion. Usman has what's known as a threat. The takedown is not as big of a deal as the threat of the takedown. And Usman got the takedown two, three minutes before this, which meant, of course, the threat exists. Masvidal can't deny that. So when Usman changes elevation... Masvidal's got to drop his hands, which is where this, this came from. I'm only bringing that to you because the great fighters, and Usman's a great fighter, will mix it up, and they will keep you guessing, and you will not know what's coming. But we have to remember the lessons of the guys who came before us. There is at no point in this sport with four-ounce gloves on that you can take for granted because you're better at something that you can't be knocked out at it. They, one doesn't have anything to do with the other. Not with the four-ounce gloves on. You can be much better at striking than your opponent, and your opponent can knock you out. All he has to do is hit you. It's one of those things, so you've got to be careful. And I don't want to be hard on Usman. This is just what happened. There's not a great technical breakdown that we can go to. We don't need to turn to Usman. I apologize, Masvidal, and say, hey, George, what happened? Boy, was training not really on point? Were you sick a little bit? Was your coaches not in the room? One has nothing to do with anything. He got hit with a punch that a human being can't take. Same as when he gave the shot to Askren. There's nothing for us to break down here. There was nothing done wrong. A shot happened that a person just can't take. Didn't have anything to do with training or preparation or weight cutting. It had to do with your standing right here with your hand down and you got Kamar Usman throwing a right hand heater at your face. Moving from Saturday's main event to the co-main, I gotta tell you, I learned something about Thug Rose after I watched her KO Whaley. I gotta tell you, I am a friend of Thug Rose, okay? I had a conversation with Pat Barry today. Her fiance, unless they ran off and got married and I didn't get invited to the wedding, you get my point. I did not know. I just didn't know. I knew Rose was good, sure. Sure she's good. I knew Rose was fun. Sure I did. I did not know that Rose Namajunas is one of the greatest to have ever done it. I just didn't know that. I didn't know that she even wanted to be. I didn't know that this was a sport that she loved and had a passion for. I just didn't know. Rose will go down in the argument of the greatest to have done it because of what she did tonight. And I made this comment to somebody. I made this comment to Ryan Monda, my brother-in-law, by text message, and he wrote me back and said, Chill, you're not remembering this right. Because Rose not only has beaten everybody, Rose is also dominant. She is just as dominant as the Bullet and as Amanda. I said, excuse me? Yeah, that's not how I remember it, Ryan. And he goes, well, Chill, go back and watch the fight she lost with Andrade. That wasn't a tit-for-tat fight. That wasn't even competitive. Rose was absolutely dominating. She got picked up and slammed and lost the belt. Like, you know what? You're right. 
And I do appreciate that reminder because that's not how I remember it. I do now. I do now that you've called it to my attention. You're right. Not only is Rose whipping everybody's ass, Rose is dominant. They're not even close with her. Joanna was so uncompetitive with her, and you know how you know how highly we all think of Joanna that they redid the match. Rose went ahead and beat her again. Now you got this Way Lee situation. This wasn't even close. Rose controlled space, knew right where she was. Way Lee's a bull. You're not getting any space on Way Lee. She's too short. She's too powerful. She's too goddamn aggressive. Rose was keeping the space like she the most brilliant fighter of all time. Right? You're talking about fight IQ. That's a big term that's getting thrown out these days. She's keeping space on the bull. As though she understands things we don't. Boop. Brought that kick right up. I call it, it was like a question mark kick kind of for me because of the way it came up and it got turned over. Either way, that isn't the official turn of the question mark quick, but it was like that. Boom, it was like that. She kept right to the face, understood that range, had that power all in the first round. We get up and go home. She is just as dominant as everybody else. She's just not talked about because she's not intimidating and she's not brash and that's okay. That's okay. I just didn't know, and I'm her friend. I didn't know she was one of the best of all time. I didn't know that till today. I didn't know she loved this sport and had a passion for it. I thought it was something that she did. Yeah, she's pretty good. She's just something she did. And it really speaks, and tonight in large part was about her entire team. If there was a star tonight, it just might have been Coach Trevor Whitman. It just might have been. A lot of people won fights tonight. A lot of people won meaningful fights tonight. Coach Whitman won two. And they both happen to be for world championships. While Rose won her belt back, Valentina kept hers again. What do you do with the bullet, guys? What do you do with her tonight? What do you do with her last night? What do you do with her tomorrow night? I'll tell you. Because it's our job. We have to change the narrative or it's just not fair. We have to change the narrative to what it means to win against Valentin. Valentin Shevchenko lost a round against Jennifer Maya in her last contest. Okay, She lost it through grappling, a skill that Andrade was very heavy in, which was why some people thought there'd be some opportunity there for Andrade tonight. But hold that thought. We're still talking about Maya to this day, and we're going to be talking about Jennifer Meyer for many more days to come because that one round that Maya won represents the first round lost by the bullet in years. In 30 months, okay? Winning against Valentina does not mean that you take her belt. That is unrealistic. For right now and for who's left, for what meaningful fights are left, it is not realistic. And don't forget, Andrade is a former champion of the world, and Andrade is the rightful number one contender. Andrade is the second best fighter in the world in that division that weighs 125 pounds. But you saw the gap, okay? So we got to go back to Jennifer Maya, which is if you can win a round against Valentina, we need to put you on SportsCenter. If you can win a sequence, if you can show that you're faster to the punch, if you get in a wrestling scramble and you get the takedown and come out on top, those are wins. 
And I'm not kidding about this. The lines in Vegas need to start having these abilities to wager on these things. Because if you talk about, are you going to beat the bullet? You just sound silly. Beat the bullet, like for the whole night, like for the contest. <laughs> no, no, of course not. Of course not. But we still got to hold the match. The bullet still gets to go out and compete with somebody. And then the bullet is trying to go up and take on Amanda. Stop. Stop. Nobody wanted to see... Oh, that's going to be a huge fight. Excuse me. It wasn't a big fight the first time they fought. It was not a big fight the second time they fought. It's not going to sell out any arenas the third time. That's the cold, hard reality. It's not a big fight. The bullet does not need to continue to put herself in situations that flirt with danger and flirt with the risk of a loss. Valentina, you're the queen. You're the queen of the world. That's okay. Don't be scared of success, Valentina. You earned this. You earned the right to walk around those hallways, to walk around the back, to have those locker rooms with your name on it and people showing you respect. You earned that. Go be the queen of the world. Go be the queen of the kingdom. Enjoy these moments. I can't help but to appreciate and respect how badly she just wants hard fights and wants to be recognized for what she is. Excuse me. You're the girl that lost to Amanda twice. Amanda's bigger than you and should have beaten you and you did great in those fights. There's no egg on your face. They've now created a division, which is the division you should be fighting at. Oh, and by the way, you are. Oh, and by the way, you're the best. It would not be fair, guys, as a community, if we allowed Valentina to think she has to go and correct that fight with Amanda or that she has to leave her division to find competitiveness. She doesn't need to do any of those things. She needs to stay right where she is, keep doing what she's doing, was accepting all challengers, not turning down anybody, not trying to turn the gun on Dana and price yourself out like other, uh, other champions who are less dominant than her, who are less interesting than her, who speak less languages and have less finishes in a variety of ways than her. Don't do that. Do what you do, Valentina. Be very welcome to competing. Be very open to ideas and sharing and spreading opportunities. You are a sportsman. You're an advocate for this sport and you're the champion. A lot of people have a job to beat you and to bring you down, Valentine. I'm speaking directly to you. There are people that are thinking about how they're going to bring you down right now. Some of them are seventh graders. Some of them are eighth graders. And likely the person to beat you is 12 or 13 years old right now. And it's a long-term play, which likely you're still going to be here. My point being, you do not need to help them. You do not need to help anybody get yourself beat. You are the queen. You have a weight class. Let them come to you. You're doing everything right. And we as the audience will decide what we want to see. And we have decided that much like we didn't, we didn't know, we, we already knew that Michael Jordan wasn't going to lose, but we filled up arenas anyway to show respect and to witness a rare greatness you have that same quality. Accept it. And don't help the others who want to hurt you. 
coming up in a moment, I'm going to talk about the unfortunate event that happened Saturday. But first, a word about one of our sponsors. Today's episode of Your Welcome is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive, tasty, daily nutritional beverage I have ever had. Spring has sprung, and there's nothing more important than keeping our bodies healthy as we transition from the colder months into the warmer ones. I have lots to juggle between my family and business, visiting with you guys, taking my son to practice, catching up on the podcast and nonstop coverage in the world of combat sports. And sometimes it's hard to practice daily nutritional habits between it all. There is a way and Athletic Greens is the key for me. It's a daily all-in-one superfood powder. One scoop contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, a multi-mineral, probiotic, greens, superfood blend, and more. They all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in our diet, increase energy and focus, help with digestion, and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products. What a relief. Athletic Greens is my one stop for all of it. It's simple, it's easy. For you athletes out there, this product is NSF certified for sport. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you like to eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. Athletic Greens is offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. So whether you or a family member are looking for peak performance or better health, covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health each day simple, tasty, and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com chael and join athletes and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to optimal health every day. Again, Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash chael and get your free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Oh my, Uriah Hall, Chris Weidman, oh my. I mean, there's no hero in this story. I don't, I've not seen anybody on as good a run of bad luck as Chris Weidman. And this is, I gotta, I'm going back four years. I'm going back three and a half years. I mean, you go and look at Weidman's. This is one of the best ever. This is one of the best middleweights to have ever done it. Taking out world champions left and right. Taking out top contenders in Mark Munoz in the first round. Taking out world champions like Anderson Silva. Taking out rematches with Anderson Silva. Throw Lyoto Machida and Vitor Belfort in the mix. I mean, he runs into Gegard Mousasi. And it was two weeks after the new rule was put into place about what is a downed fighter. Oh, and by the way, they fought in New Jersey who did not adapt the rule. I mean, it was something along these lines. I'm close, if not 100% there, but it was a mess and nobody knew the rules. We all believed it was going to be a disqualification, including Weidman. It ends up going TKO victory for Musasi. Weidman loses, right? I mean, it's just one of these things. Okay, okay, fine. Hey. Learning lesson, right? When you tell the ref I can't continue and you're trying to play that game, all right, great. You don't have to cry for him, but 
Could have been anybody in that situation because none of us knew the rules. None of us were apprised, and that includes the referee who did not make the call. He left and seeked information from another referee. Just one of those things. We just didn't know. Two weeks old. By the way, it, it was the rules of uh, the ABC, and we're in New Jersey. Are we following those rules? Just one of those things. Go to the fight with Yoel Romero. Chris Weidman's beating his ass. Yoel jumps up in the air, knees him in the head, gets a TKO. Possibly the only sequence Yoel won all night, won him the whole fight. Fast forward, at some point along the way, everything I just told you about Yoel, except insert Jacare. I was there live. They're in the third period, time's running down, and Weidman is pitching a shutout. And dominant as he's doing it. He is dominating the wrestling. He is never in danger. He is dominating the kickboxing. He's barely taking a shot. He takes one shot. It cuts him open. It puts him down. It was just a mess. You just go, oh, no. How'd this happen to the same guy? How did this happen to Weidman again? Why does this guy have such bad luck? He goes up. He takes on Dominic Reyes. He's in a main event. He's at 205 pound, fresh coat of paint. He's going to beat this young man named Reyes who nobody's heard of. He's going to draw right into John Jones. It's going to be New York on New York. Former champion versus current champion. Everything works. Turns out Reyes is pretty goddamn good. We didn't know at the time. <laughs> right? We didn't know at the time. There was also a meaningful size difference going up to 205 pounds, but Reyes stands about six foot three. It was just one of these things where. Okay, didn't work, but happened to poor Weidman again. Then he goes out there tonight. Weidman's not a kickboxer. He's good at kickboxing. He's not a kickboxer. So Weidman could have done, they call him an All-American. You guys know where that is. It's not because he's the sweet kid that likes to eat apple pie on the 4th of July here in America. He won it. He won the title of All-American through his wrestling days. That's why they call him the All-American. All-American wrestler decides to go be a kickboxer. Now, let me just break this down for you really fast, okay? The leg kick, as was taught to me and was taught to all of the guys and shown its effectiveness, starting with Marco Huaz, going on to Chuck Liddell, so on and so forth after that, but very specifically is your shin to your opponent's thigh. The thigh will be identified as above the kneecap but below the hip joint. Anything there is the thigh. Guys now, introduced to this sport by Benson Smooth Henderson, made famous most recently, example that you'll remember, is Poirier versus Conor McGregor. They're now going to what's called the calf. Now that's anything from the knee joint down to the foot. Any part of that leg is now the calf. Weidman threw at full velocity. He did not pull this at all. Whatever it was he saw, he knew Uriah Hall did not see. And if you watch the defenses or lack thereof uh, by Uriah Hall, Weidman's right. Weidman had a free-range kick. He set this up. He tricked him. He has to do it quickly, but he threw it full force right into the knee, the only part you don't want to hit. Now, that's the difference of an inch. If he's an inch up, he's going to go right into some soft muscle. If he's an inch down... He's going to go right into a soft muscle known as the calf. Start to create a Charlie horse type atmosphere. Landed it right on the knee. Reach down, guys, and just feel your knee. Just take both hands. Just feel your knee. Feel how hard that is? Go feel your knee and feel that joint and then touch your skull. I mean, which one's harder? It is arguably the hardest part of the human body, and he kicked it with his shin. His shin snapped. Now, 
I'm telling you what happened. I know that you saw it. I'm just telling you how and why. He missed. He was one inch off. So now you go and look at this compound fracture. I mean, a good run of bad luck. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it. And unless you're a student on Chris Weidman and Chris Weidman's career like I am, if you just are a casual or you bring him up on SureDog and you look at his record, you are going to be deceived. Deceived beyond deception. That is not who he is. And those, those wins and losses are not indicative of the skills between himself and his opponent. It's one of those things. But it is one hell of a run. Does he come back from this? Knowing Chris Weidman, yeah. Oh, yeah. He'll never go out like this. Never. How much can be different if he is to come back? And there will instantly be a comparison made to what happened with Anderson Silva because Weidman was the other principal in that contest. Anderson Silva, when he came back, and it took well over a year till he could get in there, only won one fight. Anderson only won one fight in eight years. And I know that he beat Diaz. He beat Diaz and he beat Brunson. The Brunson one he should not have won. They gave it to him, and the Diaz was overturned for the drug test. I think I'm right. I'm not looking that up. That's off the top of my head. I believe that's exactly right. And many people would believe it was because of that injury. I'm one of those people. There's a little bit of a difference. Anderson Silva is a kickboxer. That leg that was broken also represented one of the major tools, one of the major weapons in the arsenal of the spider. That's not the case with Chris Weidman. Chris doesn't need to be kicking in the first place. Now, I'm being very hard on Chris, but I'm not tempted to be hard on Chris. I care about Chris. And I'm trying to put a shine on this. I'm trying to spin it just a little bit, but it's tough. It's tough when the former world champion and future Hall of Famer is laying in a hospital facing 12 months out before he can even get in the gym to train. Should he elect to want to do that? And I'll speak for him right now because, I, I, yes, he's coming back. It will be a little bit different, not only psychologically, but also from a physicality standpoint. He doesn't need that kick. He does not need that kick. He does need to remember that he is an All-American. And not for the apple pie on the 4th of July. He's an All-American because of the skills that he possessed in Division I big-time athletics. He could be just fine. A Weidman might be the best middleweight out there. You ready for that? He might be. And if you go look at the matchup of Weidman versus Izzy Adesanya, I mean, when I tell you that Weidman might be the guy, you're going to have to have a few things go your way. He might be the best middleweight out there. It's one of these situations. And then what do you do with Uriah Hall? How does Uriah Hall possibly take this moment in, take this victory in? He needs to look humble, which he did. He needs to look dis pleased, which he did. Uriah Hall did everything right. He even said, no matter what happens by the time you come back, all the way up to if I am the champion, Weidman, you say the word, I get back in here with you, I owe you one. That was a cool move by Uriah Hall. There was nothing else that you could do. There was no hero in that story, but there was humility shown by Uriah. It was appropriate, it was mature, he had to figure this out on the fly, how am I going to conduct myself, and Uriah Hall passed, he did perfect. Nick Diaz was at the show, he was at the pay-per-view on Saturday, camera, did a little cameo to him, 
got him some nice seats. But you just start to wonder, why was he there? Like, was Nate out there, for example? Was Nate out there doing some level of press? And so Nick came along. I, I don't know why Nick was there. It's hard to get Nick to a show in his hometown. It's hard when Nick's living in Vegas to get him to a show that's in Vegas. Why was he in Florida? I, I don't know. I don't have the answer. Dana got asked about Nick at the press conference. Dana said, as a matter of fact, he is ready to fight. I'm going to go talk to him as soon as I get done with you guys. He's in the back. He's waiting for me right now. Okay. That sounds like pretty good news for someone like me. I'm a Nick fan. I want to see Nick fight. I was at Nick's last fight. That last fight, by the way, was roughly six years ago. This is off the top of my head. It was at 185 pounds. We heard when Nick was going to come back, when he started talking about this, that he was going to come back maybe at 155. Then there was discussion of 170, and there is a problem of what do you do with Nick, which Dana had alluded to or said the name Hazmet Shemaev. That would solve a lot of problems because Nick is a problem. If you're Dana and you're a promoter, and you put on fights the same way every recipe every time, which is nothing but champions and championship contenders. You're either fighting for the championship or you're trying to prove that you are in contention for a championship or your time here is done. Pretty straightforward. What do you do with a Nick Diaz? Because he's neither of those things. He's, just, he's at the age. He, he's just not. We know he's not the champion, but he's also at that age where we're rebuilding and coming back, not to mention if we're to look at history, his last fight being six years ago, you don't know what this guy's going to do. You don't want him to come in, right? He could throw everything off. He could also, he could do what his brother did. Remember when Nate comes back and fights Pettis, but it's the best you've ever seen Nate look? Oh my God, who is that guy? What do you do with him? They did the only thing you can do. You main event him at the garden for a title. I mean, you see the problem? But let's say it's Nick. Let's say Nick comes in and he shows us, oh my God, he's gotten better. Cleaned up his act, student of the sport, something along these lines. When he takes his shirt off, you look at his body. He didn't look that good when he was fighting. He looks better now. Does that translate? Should we read the book by a cover? Does that translate? And Nick Diaz is going to be better than he's ever been. Let's just say. Does he want to come back and do it again? Or is he going to take another six-year break? What are we doing here? Why are we here? Because all the other guys here are either champions or on a path to become champion. So why are you here? Right, it's a fair question. It's a fair question. Is it a cash grab? Is it a way of getting healthy, of getting back in shape, and it's a goal? I don't know that there's a wrong answer, but you also aren't wrong to ask the questions and want to hear the answer. Because there's some very big guys, and it's not just Nick, there's some very big guys that are in a similar situation. And I don't, know, I don't know how locked into this whole idea of only champion and only contenders can be here. I think there is a caveat. I think like anything in life, there can be extenuating circumstance. I think when you get a pool of guys, Nick Diaz, George Masvidal, Conor McGregor, right? I mean, if Conor doesn't turn things around in this Poirier fight, now Conor's one of those guys. Went from being the man to just being a big draw. You're not, you're not the champion and you're never going to be, but we don't want to release you. There's still something special here. And you know what? There is. Absolutely. Red Panty Night is still a very real thing. George Masvidal is a huge star. I don't know of any scenario where Masvidal wants to climb back to number one contendership. Masvidal's fought 50 men. 
Masvidal's been doing this since he was underage and lying that he was an adult. I mean, in all fairness, I don't know that Masvidal needs to or wants to jump back in to that wood chipper and try to come out the top guy and, you know, just wait to see what happens and maybe Usman gets beat and Colby comes in here and that's a fight that they want and George can, can slide back in with one or two wins. I, I don't know that that's what he wants to do. That's okay. That's okay because there's a respect that we have to show to the George Masvidal. George Masvidal got to the spot that he's in now by giving to us. So there's, there's a spot where now we can get back to him. Say, hey, George, it's okay. This belt and all that stuff, that was your dream. That was never our dream. Our dream is to watch you in fights that we find interesting. The same as our dream is for Nick Diaz. And the same as, look, I mean, it's on the cusp. Connor's calling out Usman right now. Connor's got a big task in front of him, and he's either he's either going to right this wrong, or Connor's going to become one of those guys. That's okay. I think we should have a few of those guys around. I think we can have a few of these these veterans around that have already put their time in. But before we send them out to pasture, we keep them at a little little unannounced, but little organization for themselves. I don't think I lost any of your guys' attention when I hinted or insinuated Nick Diaz versus George Masvidal. I don't think I lost any of your guys' attention when I hinted at or insinuated Conor McGregor versus Nick Diaz. I think if you were to bring him in with Hazmat Chemaev, I understand where that makes a lot of sense. I know what the odds are going to be. Hazmat's going to go kill him. I, I, I get it. But Nick will offer you something at a minimum that you haven't seen before. I don't think the odds makers, and I don't think any of you believe Hosmet's going to be the one guy to come out, hit Nick Diaz, knock him out, and put him away. Nick is a very durable guy. Nick does not go away. There's positions where you can control him. That's true, but that's not what we're talking about, and that would still offer us something different from Chemayev. It's an interesting match. I, I understand fully that you're going to believe that Hosmet's going to beat him. Save that. That's a fight prediction. I'm not talking about the prediction right now. I'm talking about that's an interesting match. And Nick would bring things out of Hosmet Chemayev that nobody else has. First up would be a second round. Okay? <laughs> All right. If I told you you could bet this fight, oh, by the way, do you think it, it, it's a first round or more? You're all betting. No, it's more than one round. Nobody gets rid of Nick Diaz in one round. I agree with you. But nobody gets rid of Nick Diaz in two rounds either. Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre couldn't get rid of him in three rounds. I mean, right? They went. They we went all night with these guys, and he gonna go. He gonna go a long time with Hosmet Chemayev, and it's going to be a very different fight. Not gonna come out and hit Nick and gonna see him wilt. Nick's a tough guy. That's an interesting match, but I also I get what Dana's thinking there. He can't just he can't bring Nick in with a nobody because Nick's a big high dollar guy. He's gonna have a very beautiful placement on a card. He also comes with no ranking whatsoever. When Nick left left the sport six years ago, he had no ranking. So we can't really put him against the top guy. Ooh, and by the way, in this sport, anything happens, and he could go out and take out the number two guy, but we don't know that he wants to go and fight the champion himself. We don't even know when he's going to fight again. I mean, right, do you see where there's problems here? But I think you also see why it, it makes sense to work with him. Yes, there's conflicts. And no, not everybody's treated the same. But the guys that aren't treated the same have earned it. Don't forget that. Nick Diaz has earned this. He has earned something. 
He has earned that he's not a champion, he's not a championship contender, but he's got a very meaningful place, and it's going to be at the end of the night. In a worst-case scenario, Nick Diaz is a co-main event. It's going to be at the end of the night. And when guys sit around, they always want to argue about their rankings. That's because they're missing it. The ranking doesn't matter. The placement of the card does. And Nick's going to slide right in with no ranking at the end of the night. But the rest of the fighters and their little managers and their little astute teams are sitting around looking at a number next to a name and they're missing what's happening. They're missing what's happening to the guy who lost his last fight, by the way, that was six years ago. He's going to come in. He's going to make more money than all of you and he's going to close out the night. There's a lesson in these things. Do you really want to be champion? Do you? Do you want to be champion? Okay, I get that. Do you really want to be the number one contender? Do you? Okay. Well, what if you had to choose of one of the three? Number one contender was on the table, champion was on the table, or you could be Nick Diaz where the result of your matches don't matter. The outcome of your match doesn't matter. That is the ultimate place in a career that you could ever get, and it's rare, and there's reasons you got there, and there's a lot of hard work and a lot of strategy, and you brought a lot of fans on the journey, and they didn't jump off the wagon. But if you can get to where the outcome does not matter, you can lose and come back and be a main event. You could lose being the highest paid guy of the night. You're going to come back and you're still going to be the highest paid guy of the night. That is the absolute sweet spot. Guys don't think that way. Guys don't see it. Very few of them end up there, but very few of them have their goals. You're not going to get a manager to sit you down and explain this to you. The managers that you've entrusted with your career don't know the fight business. But most of you don't know it either. And I'm talking directly to the fighters, not just to the viewer here. Most of you don't know it either. I might have just taught you something, but the sweetest spot in the whole sport of your career is when you get to a point that the outcome doesn't matter. Let's move on to the news of the day. John Jones is back in the headlines again, and it's for all the wrong reasons. John Jones and his management company went separate ways. All right. There's not a lot to see here. I understand that. But there was one thing that stood out. I mean, it's very important in the world of business that you make it very clear who broke up with who. And it's one of these tough spots where these guys, we'll call them first-round management, that's what they're calling, but these guys are very good guys. Good hearts, good hardworking guys, accessible Got good heads on their shoulders. They're loyal. I mean, there's a lot of big compliments I would have to give the guys that are running first-round management. But first-round management put out the statement. So first-round management put out the statement, we're no longer working with John Jones. I can't help but read that and think that they dropped their client. It doesn't seem as though, and I'm guessing, it doesn't seem as though John calls them up, says, look, We've come far enough. This deal isn't working for me, and I've, I've got to get other representation. And then they quickly go to a computer, type up a statement, and, and put it out. It, do, it just doesn't seem as though that's the way it would work. It seems as though they had the statement already done, made a phone call to John, and then released it, wanting the world to know, we don't work with people that act like this. Because it's one of the two. One of the two are saying, we don't work with people that act like this. It's either John saying... We've come all this way. I've given you this deal. Dana's in the public saying I wanted $30 million. I never did want it. Somebody told him I did. 
You were the one on that. Did you tell Dan I wanted 30 million when I told you go get me 10? I mean, it's, it's one of these situations where this thing did turn public and one of the two of them broke up. The statement talked about it was, it was amicable. I don't even know what that means. I don't, right. I don't know why somebody would bring that word into it. Why would you possibly bring that word? You know what? He called me to, to break up with me. And I was having the exact same thought. I was just about to call him. It was perfect timing. Like there is no such thing. There's no such thing. It was one of your ideas. And the fact the first round put out the statement makes me think it was probably theirs. And in all fairness, they should have done this a long time ago. First round management was made to look like fools. They were drugged in and out of courtrooms. They could not get other clients because they had, they had John hanging over them. Everybody's looking going, aren't you the guy that does John Jones? Your client's a mess. No, I don't know. Please don't touch my deal. You manage that guy? That's how you managed that guy? He's in handcuffs and he's unhappy contractually? What else do you do as managers? Right? I mean, but this is what somebody's going to say to them. They're going to say, you're allowing him to do all of these things, to which first-round management is quickly going to push back and go, whoa, no, that's how it's said. Don't bring that in on me. That's his personal life. Okay, fine. But your client's also very unhappy with his contract. Did you negotiate that? You see the problem. You see where for a little bit of time it seems uh, cool to be in the corner with John Jones, but over a period of time when you're using John to bring in, a, it's a problem. So how do you deal with that? What well, you publicly part ways. That's what you do. That is what would be done by any manager or agent that was taking serious in Hollywood. For example, they would be the one to reach out to their client and let them know you need a new manager. And it looks to me like that's what happened in this case. I don't base that on knowledge. I base that on the order of events. I base this on the, the fact that first round put out the statement. I just don't think that John would call them, tell them to kick rocks, and then they put a statement out. It seems as though that wasn't what they wanted. The statement's very weird to start with. First round management is, I mean, it, this is the tiniest pin drop in the world of sports that there, there possibly is. But they put out a statement. They wanted it known. They wanted it well known which means my hypothesis that they were being stopped. Other clients are going, whoa, if you do his deal, he behaves like a knucklehead and he's not happy. There's nowhere here that I could just read on his Twitter feed where you have a happy client. I can't sign with you guys. That is how this appears very much. And if I am John Jones, however that call went, whether I made it or I received it, but you then went to the public with it, I got another problem. Right now I can't come back. Now, now, you, now you've burnt a bridge because there was something that you thought was going to be gained for you and only you when you wrote the press release and put it out. Why did you want that message out? It doesn't really matter how nice it was worded and the, the word amicable. It, it does not matter. You put it out. That's to serve one of us. And if I'm no longer with you, then obviously it's to serve you. So whatever you, you gained by it, you had an intention of gaining something at my expense. Do you see the problem? There are people that, that, that have left their management companies five times in the last five days. None of them made a public statement. It's a very bizarre thing. And I think I know what the message is. I think the message is, hey, all the rest of you who we've tried to bring into our fold and from multiple sports, first round does a very good job. They really do. Sounds like I'm giving a hard time. I really, 
I respect those guys. I don't overly like them. I can't tell you I like those guys. I don't overly like them, but I do respect them. You call them, they pick up the phone. Big step, right? Might sound small, that's a big deal. They pick up the phone. But I feel as though they weren't able to get a lot of, uh, of the athletes that they wanted because of John. There would be no other advantage to making a public statement that we've parted way with, with John. And you would also have to wonder, well, where is that going to go? Who is going to be the representative, uh, representative for John Jones? And what plan do they have in place? And what vetting process does John plan to have? John, John hasn't got one right from the beginning, but he, he doesn't understand this business. He's just really, really good at the sport. I say that to you because if I was going to manage John Jones, right? John called me up and said, what would you do? What would you do differently with my career? Why should I be your manager? If I'm going to manage John Jones, I'm coming in with a million dollars right out of the gate. I will have a contract that he will sign so I don't have to deal with, can I trust this guy or not? Because I don't trust him. But I would hand him a million dollars at signing. That is the kind of client that you would have. That is the kind of deals that you're going to go out and get. And if any other manager tried to sit at the table and say, I could do a better job than Chael, I'd say, where's your million dollars? I know I'm going to get my money back. I know I am because I am now going to handle this and I believe in myself and I know specifically what I'm going to do. If you guys aren't willing to write the check, then that means you don't actually know what you're going to do. It doesn't mean you have a plan in place and if so, you don't know that it's going to succeed. I know that my plan will succeed. And that is a very common way things are done. I can remember just being in college at the University of Oregon. We had a quarterback, he couldn't throw the ball worth a damn, but he went in the first round he was, ranked, he was number two overall pick. His name was Akili Smith. And Akili went out to California. He signed with the manager. And the next time I saw him, he was driving through campus in a brand new Lincoln Navigator. I pulled up to him. I said, I like your car. You mind if I ask you how you got it? He said, I signed with these guys. This was my bonus. The agents knew that if they get to be the ones that get 10% of Akili Smith's deal, that they're going to bring in money. And as a gift and as a sign of earnest to Akili, they gave him a $70,000 rig. Here you go. Don't worry about it. We will get all of this back because we have a plan. We believe in ourselves and we know it will work. You trusted us and we want to show you you've trusted guys that have a vested interest. And they did that through the form of an automobile. But that's, that's very common. I could tell you those stories upside, inside and out. So that is how my talk with John Jones would go. But anybody else that comes to the table and says, I can do better and I can get you this. Oh, let me guess how this works. I sign with you. I commit something to you before we do absolutely any of this. You have no investment. You then get on the phones and try to work backwards. And the answer would be yes. And you know what? That's what the business is. It's chicken and egg. But generally, you would start with a guy from scratch. You would go into to the gym. You'd get a call from a trainer. You'd come down. you check out. you got this 17-year-old, this 20-year-old kid works real hard, showing some real promise, and you would start with him on day one. He's got nothing. You're getting nothing, but you've got a lot of work ahead for you so that if you are right and he turns out, that's generally the management business. I only bring that to you because that's the mentality that these other managers are going to have. John is different. John's going to drop one in your lap. Already signed athlete. Already trained, got the skills. By the way, I am a main eventer. By the way... It's going to be for a title fight. I mean, right, it's a totally different thing. 
Well, I'm going to grab a hold of John. I'm say I'm I'm going to take care of this. I I will get this deal done. I will teach you all of the things that nobody ever explained to you, and I will handle this. And your numbers are going to change greatly. I'm going to take 10% of what I get you to show you I know I could get it, and I'd hand him a check across the table, and we'll see if John goes and and finds. Somebody like that, because the vultures will come in. As soon as that statement went out, you can bet the vultures are calling John Jones. And they're licking their lips. And anybody who hasn't called John that is in that space is irresponsible. It would only be good responsibility to reach out and see if you could be the guy to go and represent John. But at some point, you're going to have to have a come to Jesus with your client. If this is going to be a business relationship, we're going to have to have some business. And sitting out and digging in as a way of of making yourself a martyr just makes you unemployed. To close out today's show, I need to give some advice to an old friend. So I got to give some tough love, all right? I got to give some brotherly advice to Daniel Cormier because he just marked out He marked out for his own gimmick. (laughs) He went over and confronted Jake Paul at a UFC. Now, there's a lot of problems with this, okay? Problem number one is Daniel was working. He was on the ins. If you're on the inside of the apron in the suit and you're getting a check at the end of the night, right? I mean, there's whole different rules. And Paul was where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to be doing. Paul was a fan with a paid ticket. And yes, I'm sure somebody gave Paul a ticket. That isn't the point. Paul was there and had the right to be there. He was standing and doing what he was supposed to be standing and doing with the ticket that he had. Daniel went into Paul's environment to confront him. And by the way, Paul stood his ground. Paul's not crazy, by the way. Paul's a lot tougher than you guys give him credit for. Yes, of course he's not Daniel Cormier, but he doesn't think that. He would never come out and say something along those lines. Not with a straight face. Paul's been very, very good at saying, give me a formidable opponent. I'm pretty good at this and I take this serious. Give me another guy who's willing to work hard and and takes this serious. Don't give me a world champion. He said those words. I've always liked Paul because he said that. It was a totally different, uh, totally different shtick. But I do remember him saying it. And it was true when Daniel came up. Paul's, Paul's got an ego too. He can't just back down. 24-year-old kid fighting in main events on pay-per-view. Daniel's a retired fighter. I mean, do you see the difference? Paul has to stand his ground, and he did. And he didn't go too far. He didn't say anything to Daniel. Daniel said, take my name out of your mouth, and Paul said, take mine out of yours. I didn't go first. I went second. You talked about me. I responded. This is what happened. Now, I'm adding some words to it, but Daniel was not happy. And Daniel's not, that's not the bear you want to poke, Right? Daniel's a really friendly guy until he's not. And this could have gone a couple of ways very fast. And it would have been bad for Daniel because Daniel's the one who left his environment and came to this environment. Paul was doing what he was supposed to be doing. And Paul was standing where he was supposed to be standing. Right? We can't get around that. Daniel has now said, I will come down to 205 pounds and fight Paul in an MMA match. Well, a couple of problems here. A couple of problems. Paul doesn't do MMA. I mean, that would be the biggest problem, right? And secondly, Daniel, you can't come and tell us that you're going to go down to 205 pounds because that is going to require life-changing work and discipline. If you're willing to go through life-changing work and discipline, 
to get down to 205 pounds and you want to fight, but <laughs> the octagon's right behind you, big guy. So what is it you're offering? Are you offering to come back? Or are you offering only to come back for Paul? A guy who doesn't do MMA. I mean, that's, that's where the big problem comes. Why don't we just challenge him to an arm wrestling match? Why don't we challenge him to a bake-off, to a game of checkers? It would all be the same thing if you challenge him to what you're good at and he doesn't even do it. I mean, do you see where, do you see where this becomes a little bit of a problem? Now, Daniel Cormier, champion of the world, twice over, two different weight classes, simultaneously at one point. Daniel Cormier is a massive star. The only thing Daniel Cormier has left to do, and it will happen, is walk across the stage, put on the jacket, and be inducted into the Hall of Fame. So what in the hell is he getting worked up over a 24-year-old uh, YouTube guy? who, by the way, was coming out to support the product that you love and had a ticket giving him the right to do so. I mean, not for nothing. Do you see the problem here? President doesn't go after a governor. The governors go after presidents. You never shoot down. Daniel was shooting down big time, but I'm not sure he knows that he did it. I think it just, I think his street side just came out. He was pissed. And I don't know that what Paul ever said about him was all that bad. I know Paul made like a weight joke. I think he called, hey, you're fat ass. I think, I think that's, a, but no meaner than that. He didn't question his wins or losses. He didn't question Daniel's success or his Olympic runs. I don't know that what Paul did got Daniel this worked up, or if it was just the moment, it was the roar of the crowd, 15,000 people, they're back. Daniel forgot what side of the apron he was on. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It was interesting. It was fun. I'm not mad at Daniel for doing it at all. It gave us something interesting and fun, but I'm not mad at Paul for standing his ground either. Paul's got the right to have an ego too, and he is where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to be doing. I said, because the MMA fans have chosen to, that Paul was wrong here. Look, in all fairness, Paul's right where he was supposed to be. And he didn't even get rude to Daniel. He stood up, but that, that's just good sense. Never pissed off Daniel Cormier coming over to you and you're going to stay sitting down. It's, it's one of these things. And now Daniel says he'll come back and do it in MMA. I mean, how sincere is that? Because Paul might say, okay. Paul's crazy. He might say, okay. Knowing what's going to happen to him. He might do it just on the spirit of seeing if Daniel can make the weight class. Paul might do it just to have this whole big press event and go, but if you don't make the weight class, I'm not stepping out there. So you put X amount up into an escrow account in case you don't make it. I'll put X amount into an escrow account in case you do. And we'll go do it in front of the world. And I'll tell you what, Daniel's not going to lose a second of that. Not one second of that. And he's not going to have to go at 100%. But it would be harder than he thinks it would be. He'd burn more calories and he'd have to use more effort than he thinks. Look, DC doesn't lose a second. This is cat and mouse. Don't get this wrong. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't drinking the Kool-Aid and I've fallen off into cuckoo land here. I'm just sharing with you. Yes, Daniel would beat him easily, quickly, but it would be harder than he thinks. All right, guys, that's it for today. I just wanted to thank all you listeners for tuning in and for continuing to review the show. Like our friend, Beastman, who says this is his favorite podcast. Well, thank you, Beastman. 
And thanks again to all of you. Much more to come on Friday. But until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.